0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're coming and people are getting their final seats, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer, um, and then we'll jump right into the flow of our service today. It'll be a little bit different, obviously, because a lot of things are different today with the setting, but uh, really excited to have you here with us to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of... Uh, starting Sovereign Hope. And um, yeah, so there'll be a lot of time to to thank God for, for what he's done over the last 10 years throughout our service. But let's go ahead and get started with prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and thank you for your unbelievable goodness to us, uh, not just today, but over the last 10 years, especially within the context of this church. Um, God, we have so much to be thankful for, so much that we can look back upon and uh, praise you and thank you uh, just for the ways that you have sustained us and grown us and developed us. and um, Lord, we're so thankful for the, the growth in our own faith. Uh, we thank you for the, the people that have been added to our church family over the past 10 years as well. Uh, we thank you so much for those that are still here that were so instrumental in helping us start. Uh, just so much to be thankful for today, Lord. And we're just uh, thankful that we could be here outside in your creation enjoying uh, this day together. Uh, Lord, we want to be honoring to you and everything that's said and done today because we know that uh, these past 10 years and all the fruit that's been seen from these past 10 years are directly tied to you, your sovereignty, your work. Um, And God, we praise you and thank you for that. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, are regularly turning our attention to you today to give you thanks and honor, I pray that you would be honored by that. And uh, God, I thank you that we get the chance to worship you together. We pray that you would. Uh, allow the weather to cooperate as we work through our service right now. Uh, we'd love to be able to stay outside and be able to to worship in this context if possible. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, so thankful to have you here with us today. So thankful again, as I've said, for uh, all that God has done over these past 10 years. It's crazy to think about uh, just where we've come from and how much has happened. Um, I know this week, just for Nostalgia purposes. I was listening to the very first sermon that we preached uh, on our launch day, and uh, you can hear babies crying in the background. You can hear the train coming through downtown Sonoy. Uh, people are dropping stuff throughout the whole sermon. Our audio is just like really good at that time in our church's history. And uh, I man, it was just neat to, to to reflect upon that day though, because I remember that so vividly. Us uh, starting and and wondering like you know, where was God going to take us? Where where were we going to end up? How long was this going to be uh, something that God was doing in our family's life? And, and just so thankful for these past 10 years. Uh, we wanted to kind of start today um, just recapping a little bit about where we've been over the past 10 years, but really even like how we started 10 years ago and why we started 10 years ago. The elders recount this story frequently when we're doing new members uh, meetings, uh, people that are pursuing membership. So we're constantly kind of rehashing like where we came from and and how we've gotten here. But for those of you that have been around for a while, like uh, you probably haven't heard that. And so I thought it would be a good refresher to kind of remind us about um, what even led to the planting of this church. Why why would we plant another church in an area where there's so many churches to begin with? And most of you know that it started with us being uh, several of us being at a church in Griffin where we had been ministering for the past four plus years. Uh, God had been doing some great things there. And uh, our time of ministry was coming to an end at that church, and particularly uh, for Adam McLeod, Tyson, and myself, we were really praying through next steps for what we were going to do with our families, uh, where we were going to relocate potentially, what we were going to do after we relocated as that ministry time was ending in Griffin. And uh, God just began to really impress upon us a desire to plant a church. Um, And so we began to have conversations about what that church would look like and why there would be a need for that. And Um, I kind of jotted some things down just as a reminder to myself and a a point of reminder for you guys as well. why we set out to plant um, this church, and particularly we wanted to do something that would offer something that maybe wasn't being offered by other churches. Not from a right or wrong standpoint, but as we surveyed the landscape of what churches we would even go to as family, we began to see some things that weren't available that we thought ought to be available. And so we began to talk about what it would look like to plant a church that would be a church of a smaller setting uh, with a growth mindset. And so there's there's so many people out there that prefer the smaller, intimate church setting. There's so many larger churches that you can attend, and, and a lot of people prefer that type of setting. And again, it's not a right or wrong thing, but there's uh, a portion of of believers that prefer the more intimate, smaller setting. And Uh, the the negativity that comes with a small church is that that church isn't growing or it has no desire to grow. Um, And and so it's hard to find a small church that has a mindset of growth that doesn't lead to that small church becoming a big church. And so that's where we really begin to have discussions about what would it look like to plant a small church that as it grew, would continue to plant other churches to maintain that small feel. And so that was one of the initial conversations that we had about what this church would be and how it would provide something a little bit different than what you could currently find. We also wanted to be a church with a desire to hold tightly to the biblical mandates and hold loosely to the cultural methods of carrying out those mandates. And so being that we're a church plant, we didn't have a whole lot of traditions that we had to hold to, and we've really tried to maintain a loose grip on anything that we do here at Sovereign Hope so that we can constantly be fluid with our methods. If, if something's not working, we want the freedom to be able to change that. Uh, but we certainly want to carry out the biblical mandates that are there, and I, and I believe that we've been able to do that um, over the years. We also wanted to be a church with um, a unique, appropriate focus on the return of Jesus Christ as our ultimate hope, meaning that for, for several of us, we had grown up in church where the talk of the return of Jesus was relegated to Wednesday night Revelation Bible studies, and that's the only time you really thought about Jesus coming back, and we wanted to be a place where as you came and we, we taught and learned from God's Word, whether we were in Genesis or Revelation, that we were constantly directing your attention to the fact that Jesus is coming back, and we wanted you to be equipped with the biblical knowledge that we do have, the clarity that we do have about what it means uh, for Jesus to come back um, and so thankful that we've been able to do that over the years, to be a church that uh, has maintained its, its small setting, but we certainly have aspirations of continuing to grow and to plant other churches as we grow. Um, like I said, I think we've held loosely to the things that we can hold loosely to, and we've been very quick to hold tightly to the things that Scripture is very clear about what a local church should be doing. And then, um, as we'll do again today, turning our focus and attention constantly to the return of Jesus. Before we transition into a time of thanksgiving, and we're going to give you a chance to share publicly things that you're thankful for in regards to what God's done uh, in you and through you within the context of this church if you want to. But I'm asked sometimes, what what has contributed to your church's ability to be around for as long as it's been around? Because there's a lot of church plants that don't last. They start and then they stop for various reasons. And um, sometimes i've i 've had the chance to meet with other people who are getting ready to plant churches, and they 've asked me like, "Hey, what are some key things that you would pass on to a church planter? Um, obviously, I would start with the fact that that God has specifically provided for us over the past ten years. without him, we could have done nothing over this decade um, it 's certainly all according to what he has chosen to do in and through us for sure, um, but even as I jotted down a couple of things these things directly tie to his provision, right? And I'm always very quick to tell people um, why, one of the main reasons why I believe we've made it 10 years is from the very beginning, the plurality of leadership that God has blessed us with. There's so many church plants out there where you have an individual who's going to be the pastor of the church, who has a desire and a vision to start, uh, but doesn't necessarily have the plurality of leadership around him to help sustain him. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that we started with that already in place. Um, from the very beginning, Tyson and Adam McLeod and Ben were here and were a constant support, uh, not just for me, but but I really believe we were doing this together. So it's not just that they were there to support me, it's that we were all there to support each other. Um, and that's something that not all churches have been blessed with, and, and God gave that to us very specifically. And so I can't, I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for the plurality of leadership that started This church, but then even as we've grown, God has added to that leadership. Right with with Marcus and his family coming, Bobby and his family coming, Alex coming, and then developing his family here, serving in the capacity of elders and deacons over the years. It's just been an area that I continue to come back to. That this is such a huge reason for why I've been sustained, even as uh, one who's you know continually preached Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. Um, It's those men that God has placed in my life that are such a huge. Uh, a huge piece for why I think I've been able to be um, able to keep doing what I've been doing, but even as a church overall, um, again, us doing this together. It's been so important, I think, that piece, that plurality of leadership. Uh, Secondly, I would say uh, just the unbelievable, and this again is God, all credit to God, that the contentment that our church has maintained in the area of money. um, I don't think we've ever had to have a meeting or a conversation about a financial situation or crisis in our church. And that's pretty unique too. Um, there's a lot of churches that have to deal with money type issues. I mean, it's one of the, the big uh, points of conflict sometimes in marriage as well, right? Uh, and it's certainly the case in churches too. And we've been protected from that over the years. Um, again, the plurality of leadership that God has blessed us with. I don't know that I've ever been around people in my life that are so content personally with their finances, in leading this church. So not just our church being content with the finances and content with lesser facilities than maybe other churches would offer, but just within our church, the families that God has brought to us, there, there's never been uh, issues with, a, with money within our church. And that's certainly to God's credit, that supernatural working of the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts aligned with contentment of what he's given to us. And then the unity and love that you as church membership continues to show each other. I think that's a, that's a huge point for why we've lasted as long as we have. When I think back over the 10 years of us doing this, not only do we not have to have meetings about financial issues and crisis, we haven't had to have big meetings or conversations about disunity or dissension within our church family either. Uh, we've been largely protected from that over the 10 years. And again, the only only way to give credit to that is to give credit to God for that because we're sinful human beings, we're selfish and prideful. And if it's not for his Holy Spirit continually uniting us, those fleshly tendencies would rear their head and would potentially destroy this church. And God has kept that at bay. He's kept the enemy clear from us in a lot of ways in that area. And so uh, just really thankful and wanna give God credit for that, credit for the fact that he has continually led us in the area of raising up leadership within our church, giving us a great contentment with our, Finances and money that he's blessed us with, and then really just maintaining unity and love amongst our church family. Those are key points, I think, for why these past 10 years have been 10 years that I look back on with fond memories all the way through. right? There's not patches where I look back and say, oh, like the whole 10 year process has just been awesome. Just unbelievable to see what God has done, and so thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, open them up to not the book of Ephesians, the book of Revelation. Here's another little mind bender for you to let you know how time passes so quickly. Uh, The time that had passed from our first sermon to the Sunday that we started Revelation is the same amount of time that has passed since we started Revelation to now. Which seems crazy in my mind, because when we started Revelation, it was like, we've been doing this for so long, like, I think our 10-year anniversary is coming up. We were only like at year five, like four and a half, year five, and now we've been five years since we started the book of Revelation, which is just crazy to think about. Um, The reason we're going to Revelation is I really wanted to share these thoughts when we finished the book of Ephesians initially, but then as I was thinking about what to do today, because I knew today would be different and I knew I didn't want to teach for very long because I knew the setting was going to be different and the kids would be restless potentially at this point, and I felt like, you know what, what I was going to share at the end of Ephesians makes a lot of sense to share today because... What you find in Revelation chapter 2, and you'll remember from our Revelation study if you were here, it's Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus years after, years after this letter of Ephesians that we're studying right now. Um, and so I think it's important for us to see, as we're thinking in the context of the church at Ephesus and what's being taught in the book of Ephesians, to see what has to be told them later because of some things that they failed to do with what they were hearing in the book of Ephesians, okay? So let's kind of think and set the context once again. We've been going through the book of Ephesians um, and kind of a summary of where we've been so far. We've seen a real strong emphasis in this book on uh, the people in Ephesus knowing who they are in Christ within the body of Christ, who they are in Christ within the body of Christ. So we've seen like the individual uh, things that we possess as Christians, But then we've seen that in the context of, hey, we're not individual Christians uh, uh, alone or solely. We are part of the bigger body of Christ. And so we've seen individualized aspects of our identity and then the corporate aspect of our identity, that we are individual Christians who maintain that individuality, right? That giftedness that we have to serve within the church. But we are also part of this bigger body of Christ too, right? So there's been this big emphasis on who we are in Christ within the body of Christ, what we possess, and the responsibilities that we now share because of what we possess. Now, remember where this church came from. This church at Ephesus uh, was planted by the Apostle Paul. It was watered and and continued its growth through the ministries of people like uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Apollo shows up for a while and, and ministers here at Ephesus. And then Timothy becomes a pastor of this church. And then most scholars believe that the, the apostle John ends up pastoring this church as well. I mean, it's like a hall of fame of leadership that's been a part of this church at Ephesus. So they've, they've been thoroughly invested in, thoroughly ministered to. Uh, the, the word has been taught extensively to them. And what we've found in the book of Ephesians so far is this testimony that they exhibit. In Ephesians chapter one, look what they're known for. In verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul has left this church. It's continuing to grow, it's continuing to, to thrive, it's continuing to minister in its community. And he says, The reputation that you have is that you have a strong faith, you're committed to truth you're committed to purity, and you're committed to loving and serving each other. That should sound familiar because that's a lot of the things that were expressed this morning as we're talking about what our church has been over the 10 years and what we're thankful for in regards to this church family. It's very much what Ephesus was exhibiting as a church. And Paul credits them and thanks them and and praises the Holy Spirit and, and the Father and the Son for the investment that's been made here Remember when we broke this prayer down, we see like the triune emphasis of how the the Father, Son, and Spirit have been working to grow this church. Faith and love are key components for their existence. They believe the right things, and they love the right things, right? They're not tied up in the things of this world. They're not in love with money. They're in love with each other, and they serve each other, and they're in love with truth and maintaining that truth, protecting that truth. And some of those things are still happening, so let's just, just for fun's sake, let's just think 10 years after Ephesus. I, I don't I didn't look it up. I don't know how long it was after the book of Ephesians was written and then this letter comes to them in, in Revelation. For, for practicality, we're going to say about 10 years, just for our purposes, okay? Um, 10 years later, they get another letter and they get an update on who they are and how they're doing. And that's where we see in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands? I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. This is a this is a this is a great praise and commendation piece found in this letter. They are praised. For their work. They're praised for their labor and their toil and their endurance, how they hate evil. They shun evil. They hold to truth. Uh, they weed out the false teachers. Verse 4 says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. When we talked through this uh, five years ago, the summary sentence from that Sunday was, churches that maintain a meaningful presence in their community are diligent in their doctrinal purity, and persistent in their love for God and each other. Let me say that again. Churches that maintain a meaningful presence in their community are diligent in their doctrinal purity and persistence in their love for God and each other. For our kids that are listening, churches that last love truth and they love each other. Those are the churches that last. Churches that love truth and love each other. You read you read this in Revelation, and there, there's some great things to praise this church about, and there's some things where they've slacked off in. And we might look at that and say, okay, like that church could love each other better. Jesus looks at it and says, if you don't start loving each other better, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come take your church away. Like I'm gonna come extinguish your lampstand. Like like it won't it won't continue. Like your church's presence won't continue if the love for each other doesn't return. Right. He praises them for some things, but then he rebukes them for some things as well. He praises them for their ongoing commitment to truth. They're commended for their doctrinal zeal and their purity. He says, you don't bear with people who are evil, meaning that there's, there's no false doctrines or lifestyles that are being overlooked in the church. There's no church discipline that's needed in these areas amongst its members. There's, there's no sinful lifestyles that are being tolerated. He praises them for their commitment to truth. It's a reminder to us that as we come into year 11, that we have to maintain that ourselves, that we have been very committed to truth and purity over the years, uh, and and we've really never wavered from that, and God has blessed us so much to have, again, people who uh, stand together to protect this church, so it's not left to one individual to protect us from, from false teachings, Right? There, there's a plurality of leadership here that helps guard. Plus, we've got such incredible members who maybe aren't functioning in a specific uh, position of leadership. But man, I would, trust, I would trust you guys as church members to be able to see false teachers coming. Um, Paul says, this church, this church knew truth and it guarded and protected itself from falsehood. It was known for this. It, it had a reputation for this. He praises them for this ongoing commitment to truth. But then he rebukes them for their mindset of duty over delight. First point is that he praises them for their ongoing commitment to truth. Second point is he rebukes them for their mindset of duty over delight. This church had become guilty of doing the right thing because they knew they were supposed to do it. But they had reached a point where they weren't necessarily wanting to do it. You know, as I was thinking, you do anything for ten years, and that's kind of the breaking point where it's like, do I want to keep doing this anymore? Right? Um, this, when I say this generation, I mean like the generation that that's kind of here on this earth right now, for the most part. Like, uh, this is a generation where it's pretty pretty uncommon for longevity in like a job to be the norm, right? When I hear people say like, I worked that job for 55 years, I'm like, what? Like, like you went to the same place every day for 55 years? Like that, that seems uncommon to a lot of us. Like those that are younger in the crowd, like, like 55 years, like we don't even think in terms of 55 years. To think that you went to the same place day after day after day for 55 years, that used to be the norm, Right? When people start, you don't hear people as frequently talking about like these longevity uh, anniversaries within marriage as much anymore. Right? Um, we're, we're seeing a generation that's rising up that, that doesn't stick with things as long as older generations used to do. We're quick to change jobs. You know, you get into something for 10 years and you're like, I don't really like doing this anymore, so I'm going to do something different. Like the, the, the endurance piece is something that's, that's missing and lacking. And we're kind of at that point as a church when we think in terms of we've been doing this for 10 years. Not everybody's been here for the full 10 years. So you still have some years before maybe you reach the 10-year mark. But it's kind of that point where it's like, are we going to keep doing this or not doing this? Because maybe now it's time to go do something different. Because that's how a lot of times our generation thinks is that, hey, it's time to do something different. Where, where this church was at is that they had been doing this for a while and they were still doing it, but some of that passion and zeal and motivation out of love for doing the things that they were doing had started to fall off a little bit, right? They had been sustained by some initial passion and love for each other. I mean, think about how exciting it would have been back uh, not long after Pentecost, where, I mean, the the movement of Christianity is taking off, and Paul and others are planting churches, and everybody's really excited about that, and, you know, everybody's thinking, like, maybe Jesus comes back in my lifetime, and then some time starts to pass and some of the passion and excitement starts to dissipate a little bit and five years turns into 10 years and it's like, wow, we've been, we've been meeting as a church for a while now and um, I guess I'll keep doing this, but the, but the passion and love for each other had started to wane. And so as Jesus writes through the Apostle John to this church at Ephesus, he says, hey, you've left your first love. You're still doing a lot of the things that you started out doing, but but you've started to, to, to not love in the midst of doing it. You're still holding to truth. You're not growing weary in that. You're still enduring patiently. But you've abandoned the love that you had at first. It's a reminder to us that Jesus is concerned about what we do, but he's also very concerned about why we do it too. Jesus is very much concerned about what we do, But he's also really concerned about the why we do it, too. You you read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that we can be busy doing a lot of things, and if there's no love within it, then we're just making a lot of noise, right? We can be really busy, but if there's no love attached to the things that we're doing, then we're just making a lot of noise, right? Notice that he doesn't rebuke them, though, for being too heavy on doctrine, right? The rebuke is not being too heavy on doctrine, and so you need to dial it down on your doctrine and start loving people more. Because that would be a temptation in today's day and age too. There's a lot of churches that are abandoning their doctrine, abandoning their truth in the name of love, right? Well, let's, let's minimize truth because we love you, right? We love you even for what you're doing and we're not gonna speak against some of the things that you're doing because we love you and we're a church of love and so we're not gonna talk about the truth piece or the purity piece. We're just gonna love on you and love on you and love on you and kind of let that kind of slide to the back. He's not, he's not saying that, right? Like he's not saying you guys love truth too much. Like you, you got out of hand with that. Like you're way too committed to truth. You need to dial that back and start loving each other more. What he's saying is you guys love truth. And I love that about you. Let's bring the love up to that same level of love that you have for truth for each other. Like, that's really what he's talking about here. He says, don't, don't back off on your truth. I love the fact that you, you love truth. Don't, don't let that, don't let that um, go away. But in the midst of loving your truth, you've got to continue to love each other. Don't compromise the truth and doctrine for love. But I think what was so startling to me when we read this and studied this five years ago, and even again as I was reading it and studying it this week, is that there is this genuine threat here. Jesus says that, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches that if you don't repent and do the, the works you did at first, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says your church will stop if you don't get your motivation right. Now, we talked when we were going through Revelation, is Jesus like making a real threat here that he's going to come actively stop that church? Maybe. He certainly has the authority to do that, right? Like this passage starts with him holding lampstands and stars in his hands. I mean, he's got all kinds of authority, right? He has every right to come in and stop churches if they're not doing what they should be doing. But I also told you, I don't know that Jesus would have to actively stop our church if our love for each other wanes. I think we would just stop it on our own, probably. Like it would just kind of fall apart on its own, So I don't know that Jesus is making a threat here that says, hey, one day you'll be meeting and then the next day you won't be because I'm gonna come in and judge your church. I think he's saying, hey, you can love truth, but if you don't love each other, your church isn't gonna endure. People will keep doing the right thing for a while. Even when there's no love, that, that motivation of duty will keep people bought in for a little while. And then eventually people will just get tired and they'll quit and they'll stop. And your church will stop too. And he's warning them here. He says, don't let that be the case, right? Like it's not too late for them to change that course of direction. It's not too late. Like their, their destiny hasn't been determined yet in this direction. They can still repent and see this change. That They don't have to go in this direction. Jesus is saying, if you lose the why, you won't be able to stay in your church presence just by duty. The sense of duty will eventually expire. The stakes are high for hearing this message and getting things fixed. What's at stake here is whether this church continues or not. And even more so, whether people make it to the tree of life or make it to paradise or not, right? In verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The implication for us this morning is that a love for Jesus and others Must be present in a church, even where right doctrine and right behavior exists, for that church to continue. Otherwise, at some point, people will get tired of doing the right thing simply out of duty and will quit. Let me say that again. A love for Jesus and others must be present in a church, even where right doctrine and right behavior exists, for that church to continue. Otherwise, at some point, people will get tired of doing the right thing simply out of duty and will quit. We've read before recently from Matthew 24, 12 through 14, where it says in the latter days, in the end days, people's love for each other will start to grow cold. It's kind of a warning of, of when we're getting towards the end, is that people's love for each other will start to grow cold. And he's telling us here in Revelation, like, fight against that. Fight against this mindset of, of where you're trapped just doing the right thing because you're supposed to be doing it, but there's no love attached to it for other people. Cause eventually you'll be weary and and you'll and you'll stop. You'll stop doing the right thing just for doing the right thing, and there's no love attached to it. He says, guard against growing cold in your love. Keep fighting for purity, keep fighting for the doctrinal purity that's present in your church but also keep fighting to love each other too. I want us to think about some ways that we can pray for our church, specifically in thinking about like the next 10 years. I think it starts with what he says here. Not so much about uh, thinking of new things to do. What's his his, uh, means of, of fixing this? Look what it says, verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. I think it's kind of this challenge to remember why we're doing this and to recalibrate our reasons for doing so. To just kind of pause on year 10 and say, okay, why, why are we here? Why, why are we a part of this church? And why did we start this church? And what was the motivation back in the day? And, and is that still the motivation for why we're doing what we're doing? And if it's not, to fight to recalibrate our motivation towards loving each other. like if, And man, to, to hear the testimonies today, like I think, we're, I think we're still in that realm of being that church that's known for its truth and its love in Ephesians. What we want to avoid is becoming the church at Ephesus down the road where we're still holding to one but not the other. Right In 10 years from now, I want us to still be celebrating the fact that this is a church where people come and they learn about Christ and there's truth and purity upheld and there's an unbelievable love for each other in the midst of all of it. That's what, that's what my hope is. That's what my prayer is. And I think that's what Christ would want for our church too. For us to have a continued passion and commitment to truth and to have a renewed love for the mission of seeing people come to Christ. It's, it's hard to really think beyond 10 years. But man, I've even started thinking about how, how do we set this church up long-term to where when I'm no longer here, when other people are no longer here, that this church is still here. Like We never set out to start this church to, to endure as long as the initial people lived. Like We want this church to be here for the long haul. For, for your kids to potentially still be in this church as they grow up, if they stay in this area, for their kids to potentially still be in this church if they're in this area, after I'm long gone, right? And, and I've still got a lot left, I think. Like, I was telling some guys on Friday, like, I was celebrating. I was like, hey, I just figured out, like, how to start putting money into retirement. And one of the guys looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, I know, I, I started really late. So, like, I've got to work a long time before I can really, like, be done with with uh, doing things in life, right? Um, but there's coming a day like where I won't be here. I won't be here anymore. And my hope is that this church is. That when I'm out of the way, that this church is still moving forward. That this church is still here and it still has an active presence in the community. And, and what we're seeing here in Revelation is that churches that maintain a meaningful presence in the community, I mean, they hold to the doctrinal purity and they are persistent in their love for each other. And so, kind of the the, the last thing that I would leave you with is for you to kind of think about yourself and how you're playing a role within this church of loving other people, right? Not to play the critic and, and sit there and say, is this church loving well or not loving well? But to look and say, am I loving well within this church? Like, am I playing the role that I need to play to love well in this church, to uphold truth and purity and to love each other well? Because that's what the church at Ephesus was known for in Ephesians 1. It's what they had started to not be known as much for in Revelation 2. My desire is that our church would maintain a reputation for both, a love for truth and a love for each other. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter six. It's interesting There's so much about loving each other in the book of Ephesians, right? Like we've talked about the diversity within the body and how we're to love each other despite our differences, Jew and Gentile coming together as one body of Christ. So much emphasis on unity and love for them to get away from it years later, right? It's crazy. But even like the last things that are said in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 23, peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's a great little phrase there at the end, love incorruptible. Because I think it encapsulates what we're just saying there. The idea that we we love truth, right? Our love can't be corrupted with falsehood. But we're not just truth only. Right? There's love incorruptible. There's the truth, but it's coupled with the love. And when, when a church has both of those things, and by God's grace, we've been blessed with those things over the years. When a church has those things, it maintains its presence for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. And we have the responsibility for maintaining it for as long as we're here in hopes that we can pass this church off to the coming generation. And Lord willing that we will be able to model well what it looks like to hold the truth and to love each other well in the midst of it. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you and thank you for the chance to celebrate 10 years of ministry. But God, our hope is that this church is only getting started and that you have great plans in place for this church long after many of us are gone. God, we want this to be a place where until you come back, this is a place where people come to be encouraged about the hope that you are coming back. And God, we know for this church to endure, it has nothing to do with uh, how good a pastor is. It has nothing to do with how many elders there are. It has everything to do with how the members of that church hold to truth and hold to love for each other. And God, we know that those two things aren't possible unless your Holy Spirit is working and moving in our hearts, enlightening us to these things. And so God, we're praying for that, just like Paul prayed for this church at Ephesus, that their hearts and minds would be opened and enlightened to endure in these things, that you would do that for us. God, we thank you for how you've done that over the first 10 years. We're praying for that same thing for the next 10. God, that you would continue to raise up leadership within this church that would help us to hold fast to truth and never waver from it. But God, I'm praying that you would continue to raise up not just leadership, but members in our church that would model what it looks like to love each other well, to care for the needs of others above our own needs. God, we don't want to just come to church and serve because we know it's the right thing to do and that we're supposed to be Christians that go to church regularly and find ways to serve. We don't want to just do it out of duty. We want there to be an overwhelming delight in you and each other that motivates us. So God, increase our love where we need it. Help us to be an active part of of loving well within this church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.